We're continuing our series called At the Cross, and today we are at the conclusion of the statements Jesus makes. We've been looking out over the past several weeks. What did Jesus say from the cross, and what is the powerful meaning behind it? And so if, if you're just kind of new to this uh, teaching series, I really want to encourage you to go back and uh, go back to our media page, either on our app or on our website, and listen to the teachings thus far. I think they've been really powerful, and a lot of them, I'm not saying it because they're all my teachings. They're, they're not. And so, man, I think they've been really, really healthy and a great learning for all of us. You can do that from our app, from our website. Today we're going to talk about three words, and those three words are, it is finished. Now before I jump into the teaching this morning, I'm going to take two minutes and I want to say this real quick. A lot of times we, when we start at New City, we, we welcome our guests and our visitors, and I want our guests and visitors to know that we're really, we have a lot of them, and we're glad that you're here today. But this, I want to take just a short moment of time to talk about those of you guys who call New City Church your home church. Um, I haven't always been a pastor of a congregation. Uh, 19 is when I, when the, when I um, really began to understand what Jesus had done on the cross. And right, I was kind of one of those guys that just kind of dumped into the deep end of the pool spiritually. Like, I just got involved right away. But I was worshiping at a church in northeast Arkansas called Southside Community Church. And man, I just remember the affection that I had towards my leadership and towards my pastoral team. And how I found myself on most Sunday mornings, it was kind of the culture of this church, I found myself at the altar at the conclusion of each message, most Sundays, asking the Lord to grow me up in what I had just learned that morning, or maybe even feeling guilty or sorrowful for something that I had done the week prior to. So there was this opportunity of confession and growth. And man, I just had a, really a lot of affection and respect for those that I, that I, that I was led by. And, I, and this week, I was processing, um, as we were kind of doing teaching run-through and different things this week, I want you guys to know who call New City Church home how grateful and thankful I am that you call this place your home church. Like, I think it's pretty remarkable. And it's not something that I or our pastoral team take for granted. Like, what the affection that many of you show me and show Pastor Chris and the rest of the team is just like the affection that, and sometimes it's overwhelming, that you guys trust us, you come here, of all of your options in Kansas City to go hear the Word, you choose to come here, and for many of you, you come and you listen to a guy who's younger than you are. And can I tell you, I don't take that, I, I cherish that, I value that, and, I, and so I don't get up here with a flippant attitude and with this attitude of like entitlement that of course you would come here. No, no, you got options, right? And so my prayer this morning is that you would feel loved and that, man, I acknowledge that you guys are, like, I really care. And I'm grateful that you don't just attend, that you serve and you worship and you're generous. All of these things, we feel the love. Can I just say that? So thank you. I love you. All right. Jesus says this. He says, it is finished. Who's ever heard those words? It is finished. Most of us have heard it at some rendition. If you haven't heard those words, it's at the conclusion of the cross Afterwards, Jesus would say, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. Again, uh, it's a hint to Psalms 31. But in John 19.30, we are, we are told by John that Jesus says, it is finished. And that's going to be our foundational scripture this morning. And here's my question. Have you ever thought what it was? Like, here's the deal. Some of us have been so, like, like when, in this political landscape, we hear the word, the, the evangelical vote. The evangelical vote. The evangelical vote. 
And for the evangelicals in the room, that's those of us who have kind of grown up in cultural Christianity. Like, and so if you're not careful, the story of the cross will go right over your head and you will miss the rich depth power of the cross because, oh yeah, I know that, Matt. But have you ever thought about what it was? Jesus said it was finished. Well, what's it? And have you ever, have you ever thought of this? That how can you finish something that hasn't been started? And so what was started that Jesus was finishing? Have you ever considered those things? Have you ever thought through that? Like, sat down and said, huh, Jesus, what is it that you finished? And I guess what was started that you needed to complete? Quickly, I want to answer the question of what was started. I don't know if you know this. Some of you, this may be brand new news to you. Maybe it's a good reminder for the rest of us. But from page 1 of your Scriptures, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to John 19-30, God the Father has been in hot pursuit to have relationships with His people. Like, I don't know how you view God, but when you read the story of the God, the thread throughout the Scripture is that God has been passionately pursuing you to have a relationship with you. Like, you just got to know that. And something happened on the cross for Jesus to have completed what God started back in Genesis 1-1. Like, Jesus completed something. Like, something Jesus did on the cross satisfied the gap between uh, people and God so that you and I could have a relationship. So I want to give you four truths today. And here's the first truth if you want to write this in your bulletin or plug it in on, your, on the app. Truth number one is this, is that God desires a relationship with you. And I'm telling you, like, some of us, if we're not careful because we know, yeah, I know, and it just goes right over our head. But God desires, I want to say it like this. When you, under, uh, when you see as God sees, you will do as God says. Do you get tired of it, parents, when your kids ask you why all the time? Why? 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 You're like, I'm going to punch you right in the head, right? That's why, right? Why? Why? Listen, God's, God's okay with why, I think. Because it's a relationship. He desires a relationship. God is not afraid of your questions. But he asks you to receive the response. God's not afraid. Like, but he knows that when you see as he sees, you will do as he says. And if you don't have a relationship with God, this Christian life, this evangelical life, is a burden. It's about all of these things that you can't do, and it's frustrating, and it's far from fun. And here's the deal if any of us treated our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our spouse as the way that we do a relationship with God, we would not have a good dating or marriage life. Like, what would it look like if you just said to your girlfriend this week, we don't really need to talk. Right? Soon she will be your ex-girlfriend. And if you say to your spouse, you got too many words. I'm talking this from a guy's perspective. you got a lot of words, honey. I don't need all those words. How about we just maybe, I will see you Friday night. And we'll talk. Tell me how that goes next week, man. Tell me how that goes. We'll, have, we'll line you up with counselors, Right? so that you can be encouraged and you can uh, get off the couch and back into your marriage bed, right? But yet many of us, our relationship with God is like, well, I'll see you on Sunday. And my relationship with God on Sunday is I'm going to have somebody else tell me what I should think about God. What would it look like for you to sit down with the Lord this week in a loving relationship, just as you might with a friend, with a, uh, a spouse, and listen and talk? and pray, and communicate, and be in a relationship with God so that you might begin to understand what He's doing in your life. What a horrible relationship that if you have when the only time you communicate is when you're telling your spouse what they did wrong and how upset you are with them. That's not a healthy relationship. 
What would it look like if we sat down with the Lord and said, man, God, here's where I'm struggling in life, or God, I don't understand, and then allow the Lord to speak to us through His Word, through prayer, through other relationships as we're being discipled along life's crazy journey. I want you to hear this morning, God wants a relationship with you. This morning is maybe a first step that you might discover that relationship. The way I want to pull this truth out is I want to look at a, a book of the, in the New Testament called the book of Colossians. It's a letter Paul wrote. And I want to look at chapter 2 and just three verses from chapter 2 that we're going to unpack this morning. And, and this is how we're going to start it off. And this is what Paul says. Paul writes this. He says, you were dead. What does word dead mean? Word, what's word dead? Not dead, yeah. Word dead means you ain't dead no more. That's great grammar, right? Word dead means you ain't dead now. And he's writing this to Christians of the church, and he's reminding them there was a time when you were dead, but he's going to take them on this progression of why now they are alive. And so Christians in the room, evangelicals in the room, Jesus followers in the room, there was a time that you were dead. Other men and women in the room who have yet to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Notice, I'm not saying that you have some kind of knowledge or understanding of Jesus. Big deal. Big deal. For those of you who have yet to confess Jesus as your grace, as your Savior, and as your Lord, the boss of your life, listen to this. You could be, based on the Scripture, still dead because you haven't received fully what Christ has done in your life. But Paul writes here that you were dead, and he's going to tell us why we were dead. Because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet what? Cut away. Everybody grab one of your hands and grab, grab some skin. Come on, I need to do this. Grab some skin. Don't make me be the only weird one, right? Grab some skin. Come on, everybody. There you go. Brian, thank you for participating. You know what this stuff does? This stuff will typically pull you in the opposite direction of God. Your flesh... Your sinful nature will typically pull you in the opposite direction of God. Your desires, your temptations, the things that you want to do, typically don't go in the same direction that God is moving in your life. That's why Paul says that we must die to self. We must beat our body. We must submit it. Because this stuff right here will pull you in a very selfish direction. Whether you're a great person or a horrible person, it doesn't matter. Your flesh will typically pull you in a direction opposite of that of God. I, I love this quote. Put it in there for you. It says, No person, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl can walk in two directions at the same time. Every moment of your life, you're either going to take steps towards God or away from Him. And some of you are so uh, spiritually confused is because you're trying to go the flesh way and God's way. Your flesh way and God's way. And you're spiritually dizzy. You don't know which ends up. There comes a time when you say no. <laughs> Ouch. You say no. And you pursue the things of the Father. You pursue. The, the, sin, the sin has to be cut away. That's truth number two. Following Jesus requires sin removal. I've been following the Lord since I was 19. I said that earlier. In my own life and in my observations of people that I've walked with, people that I've known, I've never seen anybody go through a sin removal stage, Michael, that it hasn't been uncomfortable. There, you're not spiritual enough. There's not a person in this room who is so spiritual enough that when God begins to cut away your sin nature, He begins to do that sanctifying work in your life that at some point of you, you don't go, ouch, that hurts, please stop. Pastor Chris did a good job one day in a meeting describing what sanctification looked like. He said sanctification is when you are faced, and we're all faced, you will relate to this, when you're faced with a common sin in your own life. 
Sanctification happens when you're faced with a common sin, whether it's to look at pornography, whether it's to go on a spending spree, spending money that you don't have, whether it's to fall into gossip, adultery, whatever it might be, when you're faced with a temptation that you typically have, and when you say no to that thing, you say no to your skin and yes to Jesus, that is when the Lord has sanctifying work in your life. That he begins to cut away those mean, evil, sinful, selfish parts of your life and you begin to look more like him. That's sanctification. You don't do it, Jesus does it. When you're faced with a sin that's common in your life and you say no to that sin and yes to Jesus, you are able to endure and withstand the scapel, the scapel, I'm sorry, the scapel of surgeon Jesus. But in those moments of your life when you're faced with a common sin, and we'll all be faced with a common sin today that you struggle with, if you give in to that thing, and you say yes to your flesh, what you're saying to Jesus is, not right now. I'm going to do what I want to do, even though I know that you say no. Some of us, we're so frustrated spiritually because we know the news of the cross, we say we understand it, but yet we are allowing our skin to lead our lives instead of the word of the living God. No man, no woman, I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are, there ain't a person in this room that can walk in two directions at the same time. It's frustrating. But two words are really great. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Then God. Amen, right? Then God. What did He do? Then God made you alive with Christ. Now this next part that I want to go into is the, two, is, the, is the primary way of how we view the function of the cross. From the oldest person in the room to the youngest person in the room, This is the way that you have been taught the purpose of the cross and its truth. But there's just more to the story that I'm going to get to. But this is what we know. This is what he says. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What's the picture? Put yourself in a courtroom and you're the guilty party. You didn't plead not guilty. You know you've done it. You are the bad dude. You got caught. Now you're before the judge, and he's about to give you the sentencing. And right before he sends you off to whatever prison, somebody stands up and says, Hey, Your Honor, I know that Ed Garvin did that, but I would really like to take Ed's place. Right? Ed, I know Ed's guilty, but I want to take his punishment. And the judge says, All right, Ed, you're free to go. Go ahead. You're going to jail for him. And Ed's like, What? What's going on? What happened? You're free, Ed. Get out of here. That's how you and I have been taught the message of the cross, and it's true. That God loved you so much that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That when you recognize what Jesus did on the cross, you are saved, right? I'm saved. And because I'm saved, I don't have to go to hell, I get to go to heaven. And that's true. Jesus rescued you. Jesus saved you. He has been the penalty for our sin. That is true. And for those of us in the room, I want to talk to us real quick, for those of us who understand that. And yet, we walk around with this shadow of guilt on our past life. If you're a follower of Jesus, and yet there is this thing that haunts you, a decision, a move you made, something you did, and any time you try to do something spiritual, it barks in your ear about how bad you are. Can I ask you, can I ask you today to leave it at the foot of the cross? Because if you are a person who follows Jesus and says, yes, I understand the cross, but yet you also carry this guilt and shame of a past sin, here is what you are unintentionally saying. You're unintentionally saying, yes, Lord, I understand that on the cross you forgave most sins. But your blood wasn't pure enough, perfect enough, gracious enough 
for my sin. I'm the exception. I'm the one who your sin or your blood could not cover. And come on, we all know that's BS. Barely spiritual. Get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind out of the gutter. That's horrible theology, but we walk in it all the time. Christians, right? Come on, we all know Christians who walk around, oh, I'm so defeated because, listen, you have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. You are forgiven. That song is really good doctrine. The cross has made you flawless. Does it mean that it didn't happen? No, you remember. Yeah, I know what I did, but it's been forgiven. It's been paid for. And so quit living in the rearview mirror of your life and move forward in Christ. That's the message that we've been proclaimed. You have been forgiven, and it's true. Here's the downside of that message. The American church has received that message. They've got their free ticket to heaven punched. They've got their fire insurance, ain't going to hell. And we find a cozy spot on Sunday to plump our rump, and we shake our head as the world goes by. And come on, those of you who are my age and older, you know you shake your head a lot. Come on, just be honest. If you're on Facebook, you shake your head a lot. If you're watching the news, you shake your head a lot. If you go to the mall, you shake your head a lot. You drive up and down the streets by local schools, you shake your head a lot. What's happening to this world? You just find yourself shaking our head. And this Christian, us evangelicals who have been saved from the fiery hell, we plump our rear in church on Sunday morning and simply endure until Christ comes back or Christ takes us home. And can I tell you something that I'm about to reveal to you? That there's more to the cross than just you've been saved. And it's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Here we go. Paul continues. Yes, you've been forgiven. And in this way, the way of the cross, he being Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What does it mean to disarm somebody? If Tristan comes at me with a knife, and I do some ninja move on him, right? And I kick the knife up in the air and I grab it, I've disarmed him, and now I have the power, I have the authority. Would you agree? Last night, Nate Diaz disarmed McGregor, right? The girl Tate disarmed Holly Holmes, right? I mean, more sports analogies. We hope tonight that the KC Sporting disarms the other people kicking a ball, right? We, this is what we, right? We hope uh, that case that we're grateful that KU disarmed Iowa State. You see, yeah, right, here we go. So, on a much bigger scale, at the cross, and again, this is really huge, Christ disarmed the unseen things. When Jesus said it was finished, something happened. Were you forgiven? Absolutely in this, right? This is theology stuff. You've got to get a little bit deeper here. In the garden... In Genesis, there was a man and a woman who had perfect relationship with God. It was perfect. But then, the sneaky serpent entered sin into the story, and Adam and Eve listened to their flesh and did what, that, what seemed right in their eyes. And they did what God said not to do. And ever since that moment, you and I have had a broken relationship with God the Father. And ever since that time, God has been trying and putting in ways for that that relationship to be reconciled. At the cross, Jesus restored that relationship in this way. The Scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. I'll say it again. The wages of sin is, meaning this, because each of us have sin in our life, everybody in this room is going to die. You're not going to get away from it. Because of sin in the world, because Adam chose to listen to his flesh 
rather than to listen to what God had commanded, we have been separated. What you could say is this, in the garden, Adam gave his authority away. Adam had all the authority, and he took his authority and he gave it away. And at the cross, you find Jesus. Never let anyone tell you that someone killed Jesus. No one killed Jesus. Jesus willingly laid down his life for his friends. He stretched his arms out, and he allowed nails to be put into his hand, into his feet, and a spear in his side. His blood was shed, and he says, It is finished. The relationship is restored. Then three days later, we're going to celebrate this in a few weeks, Jesus is resurrected by the mighty power of God. Did Jesus, was Jesus resurrected because God loves him more? No. Can I tell you the reason? Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. Jesus had no sin. He was the one who was different from all of us. He, he never did a thing wrong. He was spotless. He was perfect. He was blameless. And so that scripture that says the wages of sin is death, death, or Jesus owed death nothing, for he had no sin. And so get this, if I could go into theater mode for you. Jesus dies, and all of the unseen world, all of hell celebrates. They've killed God's son. And they're pumping their fist, right? <laughs> they're, I was going to say they're, they're pumping their fist, and they're excited, and, and they, they, they've just killed God's son. But then there's this conversation that takes place that could look like Jesus looking at them and saying, why are you guys so excited? Well, we just killed you. But I don't owe you a thing because I have no sin. Can I have my ball back, please? And Jesus reclaims the authority that Adam gave away. Old Adam, first Adam, gave your authority away, gave our authority away in the garden. He chose to listen to his flesh. At the cross, Jesus redeems, he takes back that authority from the evil one, and there ain't nobody getting out of it, getting it out of his hands. Now, what does this mean? Truth number four, this is what it means. And this is huge for all of us evangelicals who have got our ticket punched to heaven and find ourselves shaking our head at the crazy world in which we live. Are you ready for this? Here's the truth number four. You were not saved from hell, but rather saved toward kingdom. This is powerful. You weren't saved to endure and shake your head. You were saved toward the kingdom life. You were saved. Jesus rescued your sorry tell from all of your sin. He didn't wait for you to get your life in order and then rescue you. He said, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He, and that, man, that should just catapult us. It should just propel us into a life for Him. But no, what do we do? We get cozy in our Christianity and we sit down with our Bible knowledge and all of our understanding and all of our hymns and all of our songs and we shake our head at this passing, crazy, jacked up world. And that is not at all what you were called to. Did you know that the early church for the first thousand years, the primary view of the cross was not, hey, you are now forgiven. It is that you have been saved towards the victory. The term was Christus victor. Christ the victor. And somehow we've lost that. And we think that we're supposed to sit back and go, well, I guess I'll hang in there. No, you're not. Like you should not drive by pockets of poverty in your neighborhood and shake your head in disgust at what's going on there. For those of us who are teachers, I met Ross earlier who's a school teacher. Several of you are school teachers, or you're like me, you're in the public schools. We shouldn't walk through those hallways disgusted at what teenagers are doing. We should know the authority of Christ. Our position is in Jesus. And we have been given the authority to bring the kingdom to the darkest places. Not go home and complain and pull our kids out. We should engage, engage our city. What's the name of this church? 
Good. I'm glad you know that. Yeah, we're a, we are called New City Church. I make a joke here, but I, it means a lot to me. You do not attend, if you want to fill in the blank, you do not attend Same City Church. Where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Same City. Well, that's an interesting name. Yeah, we want to keep things just the way it is. Come on. Come on. How dare we receive this forgiveness of Christ on the cross and then not engage the world in which we live with the authority that we are found in Jesus. Amen? Maybe some of you would hear it like this. I'm asking you to wake up. Put your free ticket to heaven in your wallet and get in the game. Begin to live for Christ. To die is gain. I'm not, I don't care if somebody makes fun of you. That, that, that doesn't concern me. Well, what if they get mad? They get mad. Your position is in Christ. He has disarmed the authorities. Why are we shaking our head in disgust at why we think the world is going to hell? Do something about it. And by the way, I'm not saying get a Facebook account and start ranting and raving. That's not at all what I mean. Submit your authority to the truth and grace found in Jesus Christ and embrace the culture that you're going to go into tomorrow. Whether it's a workspace, a family situation, a personal relationship, stuff with your kids. Listen, it's not too dark. Don't you dare say, oh God, your kingdom can never break into that dark spot. No, 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 that's not the gospel. The gospel says this. Listen, Jesus didn't say, hey y'all, it's almost done. 2,000 years ago, he finished something. And I'm telling you, the enemy has watered down the gospel message and it's made a lot of us cozy in our faith to think, oh, you're forgiven, just hang in there. And I'm telling you today that we're not to hang in there. We're to move the ball down the field. We're to uh, have our position in Christ. And we are to understand this, that he has disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. It is finished. Ecclesia, my church, go express the kingdom wherever your feet may take you. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Show me where he says, all authority has been given to me, so set, get cozy, endure until I come back or until I take you home. Come on. I started by saying there were many times Pastor Chris was with me. It's, I met Pastor Chris and his wife Rachel at Southside in Arkansas. And uh, Chris knows I'm speaking truth. There were many Sundays where we were on our face at the altar praying, asking the Lord to do what we had heard that day. And today, I would only ask you to join me. And I'm not going to be doing it for show. I'm serious about what I'm praying. We are not called Same City Church. And we have a better understanding of the cross of Christ, that we have been forgiven and we have been positioned in the authority of Jesus. And it is finished. But it's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and trying harder. Guys, that's not it. It's having going back to truth number one, having a relationship with the Father, that whatever I see Jesus doing, that's what I'm going to do as well. Don't you dare go out and start something that God's not asking you to start because you feel like you need to do something. No, 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 no relationship first. When you see as God sees, you will do as God says. And for me, sometimes that happens best when I'm on my face before the Lord, just asking for His help, asking for His guidance, 
asking for his truth. So Curtis is going to lead us in one song, one, one chorus. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up and pray. I invite you to join me. If you feel like you've been cozy, if you feel like you've been sitting back with all this great forgiveness, shaking your head way too much, could I ask you to come pray with me? Confess that to the Lord. Invite a new thing to fan the flame again in your life. What was once blazing hot has somehow cooled down. Could today be the day that God reignites and you have fresh, fresh work? I don't know. That's what I'm praying. Would you stand with me? Father God, these next few moments are yours. I pray you will receive the prayers of your saints, the prayers of your people. Father, for those who this is the first time to hear the gospel message, I pray that they would respond, God, that today would be their day of salvation. It's in Christ's name, in Christ alone that we pray. Amen.